So this is number two, I think, in carrying on with talking about who are we. And um, Chris asked me to kind of kick off by talking about who is he? Because unless we understand who he is, we don't understand who we are, right? So that all makes sense, except that as I began to think about this and work on it, it was slightly daunting to come up with a summary of who God is in 25 minutes. And uh, I thought, well, how do we do this? And I was looking at a few aspects of God that have been kind of quite meaningful to me and um, trying to put them all together and uh, just really floundering. And I, uh, very fortunately for you guys, got hijacked by Jesus because otherwise this would have been a long and probably really uninteresting talk on the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, so you got saved from that. Praise the Lord. Um, I know, really. <laughs> um, and this is quite special how it happened. I uh, have been working on this and revising and coming up with marvelous PowerPoints um, with quotes from C.S. Lewis and all sorts of wonderful things. And... Um, not getting anywhere, and I thought, I went to, out to the countryside to visit a friend, and I thought, I'm gonna finish this on the train on the way home. Got two hours on the train. And um, in the woods, I lost my glasses, and because I'm old, I can't see anything without them, and so I couldn't work on it on the train on the way home. And God just said, um, thank you. Yeah, just that first one. Um, like this. Maybe, yes, there we go, yeah. So um, there I was on the train without my glasses and God said, um, you just need to spend time with me. You just need to come and be with me. You need to come and learn of me. You don't need to come up with slides and quotes and doctrinal correct things, although those are important. You need to come and be with me. And I think this is where I'm starting. And I just had this lovely time with Jesus on the train um, with the blurry world. <laughs> um, it was good. Um, great, great thing was I couldn't even play on my phone really, you know, it was really good. Um, painful, but good. Um, but the point of all this is that um, God has presented us, himself to us as someone knowable. Um, and 1 Corinthians 13 says, now we see in a mirror dimly. <laughs> Maybe it's like now we see as, as without our glasses, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, and this is the beautiful bit, even as I have been fully known. <laughs> Love that. That you are fully known, and God is in this dance of inviting you to fully know him. And this is the progression that we're on. Um, when I tried to come up with the 25 minutes of who is God, um, this is what I came up with, which may or may not be um, anything. But when I was trying to say, who is he really? Who, to me, who are his 
you know, he's got so many characteristics and qualities, but I thought that in his essence, he's a holy God whose essence is love, and he's revealed himself to us through Jesus as the father who re relentlessly pursues us. And so when we're starting with who is God, we have to start with that truth that John talks about, that God is love. This is his absolute essence. This is his absolute character. And we see that right at the beginning in Genesis, which is, um, I think, a really crucial bit of the Bible is those first three chapters in Genesis, actually. Um, I recently heard David Bennett, who's a, an author and theologian, say, if it is a myth, it's a true myth. And I think that um, everything about the blueprint for how God created the world and humans is there. So, um, right at the beginning, we see God saying, let us make humans in our image and in the image of God, he created them. Oh, I even have a slide for that, look at that. Um, it's this one. So God created humans in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And what we see here, why does God refer to himself as us? Let us make humans in our image. Well, we start to get a picture here of the Trinity. And I promise not to go on about it at length. But what we see here is a relational God. We see God who's three persons inhabiting the same space. Um, there was a word I looked up, which was a long Latin word, but it just means the interpenetration of God, which is a really intimate sounding word, that it's like three persons inhabiting one space, relating to each other in complete love, in complete surrender, in complete submission, in complete cooperation. We see this God who is in his essence relational who is in his essence living in complete love and unity. And as in any, um, you know, I'm, I, without wanting to be weird about it, the, the closest relationship we can come up with is a marriage relationship, isn't it? That, that is that intimate. And in a healthy, loving relationship, what you want to do is share that love and expand it and grow family and actual children are produced, right? And I think, you know, we're called the children of God, and we come out of that love that is the, in the essence of God. We are his creation out of his love. So this is the, the beginning of who he is. He doesn't know anything else other than to be love. It's, it's all he is. It's all he knows to be. And he creates us out of that sense of love and intimacy. We're the product of the intimacy that there is between the Trinity. Um, in, in looking at the Trinity, and I do promise I won't go on about it forever, but uh, I read something that I thought was quite helpful. He said, if, if God is only one, he can't express love in that same way, or it's a selfish, self turned in on itself love. If it's only two, it can be quite exclusive, you know, when two people are really into each other, you can't sort of be there. But if it's three, there's this beautiful synergy of, of sharing 
amongst each other. That's not Bible, but it's an interesting thought. Um, and I think when I started to talk to God about this on the train, uh, I felt like I needed to share a bit of my own story. So I hope it's not going to be really self-indulgent, but I'm going to share bits of my own story as we go along. And that's when I first began, I grew up in a Christian home, knew all the right things about God. But when I first started as a fairly um, mature adult, I mean, in my late 20s is what I mean by that. When I first started to hear that God loved me, when I first really started to be confronted with that, my reaction was actually anger. It made me so angry. How can, you know, is this true? How can it be true? And I just had all these reactions, and all it was is my own pain and trauma surfacing as I started to let this, this God come close and be near. And I, you know, I had to look up in the Bible. Um, you know, I thought, are you really loving? Because I'd known him as an angry, exacting father who wanted me to do the right things at all times. And I had to, I, like, I got my concordance out. You know the concordance that like, helps you find scriptures? Yeah, I got my concordance out, and I looked up anger in the Bible, and it was like, a, you know, good-sized paragraph. And then I looked up love, and it was three pages. And I thought, oh, okay. And I started to have a shift of, this is who he really is. He's this God who loves and loves and loves. And I began to realize that he is a pursuing God. And that he had been chasing after my heart the whole of my life and desiring to bring me and all of creation back into relationship with him, back into that place the way it was in Eden when we were completely connected to him. Um, and it began a journey for me of, if I can put it this way, of God pursuing me, I would say of God romancing me. And fathering me into who I was, into my true identity, fathering me into womanhood, fathering me into adulthood, fathering me into correct understanding of myself as his child. Um, and I began to understand that I am both the son and the bride. So we're called the sons of God. Sounds like a misogynistic term. At the time, the sons were the ones who inherited. They were the ones who had everything from the father, you know. But to balance it, we are all also the bride. So whether you're male or female, you are both a son and the bride, which means you are the desired one, the beloved one, and you are the one who's given all the authority and all the inheritance. And so... I went on a journey, and I think God is calling all of us to be on a journey to discover our identity as, as both of these things, the beloved sons and daughters of God, a sought-after bride. And it's as we do these things that we're able to begin partnering him, partnering with him to bring his kingdom here on earth. So back to Genesis 1, it says the Spirit of God hovered over the chaos. The earth was without form and void and the darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God brings order out of the chaos. He brings light into the darkness. He brings beauty. He makes all of creation. And then he says that we are created in his image in order to replicate his love on the earth. 
in order to reproduce his image on the earth. We were to expand the reach of his kingdom outside of the garden and tend it, to care for it, and to bring order to the rest of the earth and to reproduce all over the planet more images of God, to fill the earth with people who were as loving and kind and wonderful as he was. So God's pursuing us and he's bringing us back into relationship with him and back to our true identity and and authority so that we can partner with him and reproduce ourselves, filling the earth with the image of God, holy, loving, and joy-filled people. And so we begin to look at identity. If I am made in the image of God, and you are, by the way, you're made like him. You're made with his beauty, with his love, with his capacity for creativity, for his, with his capacity for relationship, with um, autonomy, decision-making, all of that. You're made in his image. So if I am, then I have a question, which is why am I here on the planet? What am I doing here? How am I reproducing his image in the earth? Ephesians 2.10 says, we are, this is the Passion Translation, which I think is lovely. We are God's masterpiece. That's a good thing, isn't it? We are recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he's given each of us, for we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance the good works that we would do. The exciting thing is those good works are going to be really different for each of us. Um, Francis works with trees, Kirsty works with money, corporations, something like that. I have no idea. (laughs) Um, Some people are raising their grandchildren, some people are working in hospital settings, some people are, you know, we all do different things, but we are created as masterpieces, images of God to bring that kingdom, to bring that order into the chaos that clearly is our world. We are to be expanding the kingdom and each of us is gonna do this in a different way. But the beautiful thing is that God has planned and advanced good works for us to do. So, first challenge is don't just go about your life. Anyone can go about their lives, but we're here for a purpose. And we're here to bring the kingdom. And this is something we need to be seeking God about all the time. How am I doing that? If I work on a construction site, how am I bringing the kingdom there? What's God want to do? What miracles is he going to do through me in my workplace? How is he going to affect my neighbors and my neighborhood? How is he going to affect the whole wide world? Um, We are... um, I'm going to tell you more of my story. But I lived in Asia for a long time, so I feel a little bit... Uh, like I'm actually more part of the developing world than the Western world sometimes. There's a big world out there with so much chaos, with so many people who've never heard that Jesus died for them, never heard that God loves them. We need to expand our vision a little bit beyond where we are as well. Um, So it's this finding this identity, it's letting God pursue us, letting him romance us into relationship with him, letting him father us. Now again, father's a bit of a tricky word for lots of us. And God obviously is God and he's well beyond gender. Um, And the scripture is full of places that 
talk about his maternal characteristics, which I love. But the balance of the way he's revealed himself to us is as father. And, you know, I think we can look around the world and see the effects of fatherlessness on our world and on our society. And however that works, he's going to do that differently in you and in me. Um, I'll tell you a little story about how some of that was for me. Um, I was in some teaching that encouraged us to um, do an exercise where we asked God, what is the name that you call me? Do you have a special name for me? Which is like, okay, that's a bit weird, but we'll give it a try. The, the idea being that God has a way that he looks at us that is probably different from the way that we look at ourselves and the way that others look at us. It's again, a bit of an exercise to find identity. So my name's Anne, and that means um, grace. And because I'd grown up in a really legalistic family, like horrifically so, um, and because I'd taken on lots of that and was sort of in the process of undoing it, I just felt like I'd really failed to live up to this name that my parents had given me, that I wasn't and hadn't lived as a person of grace. I'd lived much more as a person of law. And I'd, I always felt like fairly ashamed that I'd not lived up to this beautiful name I'd been given. So I was on the bus, and I said to God, all right, I'll try this. What's the name that you have for me? Immediately into my head pops this name, Jana, like, you know, like with a G, like G-I-A-N-N-A. -N -N -A. And I'm like, well, that's weird. Never heard of that. It sounds like, it probably means like, it's Italian, right? So it probably means like salami maker's wife or something. So <laughs> I'm on the bus, right? I go home. I look up Jana and those, you know, baby, name your baby lists. And it's the feminine form of John. And it means grace comes from God. And I was like, oh, he's calling me into just letting go and letting him work through me, move through me, create grace in me, teach me how to be gracious, teach me how to leave law. He's, he's changing my identity. And, and what he does is he returns us back to the person that we were meant to be. So in that... Um, passion translations of Ephesians as we're recreated. Idea being, um, you are a masterpiece, like some of those old masterpiece paintings. And you know how the Victorians and others, you know, painted fig leaves over the delicate portions and sort of changed the masterpiece. I feel like what Jesus does, what God does as he fathers us is he starts to wash off those layers of paint. Whether they've been put on you know, with good intention or ill, that, that he, he restores us to who we really are. So I thought I'd failed by not being gracious, and he said, no, it's going to come from me. Lean into me, connect to me, and you'll find it. Um, and this is the Father that is revealed to us, and how do we know the Father is we know Jesus. So Jesus said over and over again, if you know me, if you see me, you've seen the Father. So we need to believe that everything in the way that we see Jesus acting and interacting is how our Father is. Very kind that he gave us a human, like an actual person in a body, to walk around in this world and we could see, ah, oh, this is who God is, this is how he is. 
And I love, love, love John 1.14, which says the word, which is Jesus, and I think is also the word when God spoke and light came into the world. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. How kind is that? And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And in my story, this was a real revelation. Um, I had grown up with the, the truth part, but not the grace part. And I suddenly saw that they had to come together and that only in coming together did, did they fully express who God is. If you only had truth with no grace, which is how I grew up, whew, it was harsh, man. But if you've only got grace and no truth, you're on wobbly ground, right? Jesus showed us how he brought both together, full of grace, full of truth, and this, I think, is part of the essence of God. I'll go back to my thing here. He is both fiery holiness and unconditional love. Now, these things sound like contradictions, but we see both fully demonstrated in the life of Jesus, who was God as a human. I think probably one of my favorite stories in the Bible is in John 8, and it's the story of the woman uh, caught in adultery. So she's in bed with somebody, not her husband. The religious guys drag her out, probably half clothed, throw her in a public square in front of Jesus and say, what do you say the law says we have to do? And of course, Jesus knows what the, what the Old Testament law said. It said she should have been stoned. It also said the man should have been, but clearly he wasn't um, required to uh, face, face anyone, really. This is a standard that um, persists to this day, I'm afraid, but anyway. Um, here she is in front of Jesus, and he is brilliant, and he says, yes, she has sinned. It's not okay. I mean, he doesn't say these words out loud. Um, she should be stoned. That is the law. And the person who's never sinned, you can throw the first one. Go on then. And all of them know they can't. And they walk away. The only person who'd never sinned, who could have thrown a stone, was who? Jesus. And he says, does no one condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. Beautiful. Just amazing. I think he could do that because he knew he was going to go to the cross and bear all of her sin and all of our sin. And then he says, now go and don't, don't sin anymore. So can you see that both things come together? There is a standard of holiness. There is a standard of obedience. There is a standard of not sinning. But there's so much love. And because he went to the cross, there isn't condemnation. Yeah? There isn't. So he calls us to leave our personal sin, but also to leave shame. And whether that's the shame for what we've done or whether it's shame for what people have done to us, we get it both ways. We've sinned against ourselves or against other people and people have sinned against us and it doesn't matter how we've got that shame, Jesus wants to take it off. He wants to remove it, that's the whole point of the cross. So 
he's calling us back into relationship, into our true identity. And it follows then that we're called into his holiness. And this means learning from him, which requires both surrender and obedience to him. These are not popular ideas in our culture. You do you. Maybe. But um, the thing is that the more that we walk in surrender to Jesus, the more that we grow up to be like the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit, the more we become our true selves, the more we become who we really are, who we were meant to be. Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount with this astonishing line, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I mean, it's not possible, is it? And yet that's what we're called to. How do we get there? I think it's by letting him romance us into love with him. I think it's by allowing him to pursue us. I think it's by listening and responding to his kind words. I don't condemn you. Come. I'm going to teach you a different way. You know, the woman at the well, um, who, you know, they had this funny, it's hilarious actually, they had this funny dialogue about literal thirst and metaphorical thirst and all of this stuff. And, and um, finally Jesus says, um, why don't you go and call your husband? And she says, oh, I don't have one. And he says, no, that's true, you've had five and the one you're living with now isn't your husband. And then she says, oh, I perceive you're a prophet. It's very funny. Um, but what Jesus does is he, he says, I see you. I see the real thirst inside you. You're longing for love. You're longing for connection. And I see that. But he doesn't tell her off. He just says, come, I've got water for you so you'll never thirst again. And Jesus is calling us into relationship. He's calling us into holiness. He's calling us to leave sin, but he does it through his kindness. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, isn't it? calls us in to be loved by him, to be re-parented by him, and then to find out who we really are. Um, obedience to the source of all goodness is the only way to become truly human, fully who we were created to be. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you a story about a friend of mine, because um, I lived in Hong Kong for many years um, <laughs> in uh, drug rehab houses. I lived um, with sort of 25 um, Chinese triad gangsters at any one time. And uh, it, was, it was pretty funny on a good day. And uh, I, a good friend of mine, who, she, so she came into our, I, I lived in a women's house for many, for many years, and she came into our house obviously with the um, presenting problem of drug addiction, but she had a really um, messy and complicated sexual past. And so when she came in, we said, you know, is this part of your life something that Jesus could look at? And she was like, nope. <laughs> and we're like, fine, come, come join the family. And uh, when I saw her a couple of years ago now, uh, she said, as I began to worship Jesus, two things began to happen. I felt how deeply I was loved by this father, transformatively loved. And at the same time, I felt some shame for what I had done sexually. 
And as those things began to come together, I, just to say, shame was her word, not mine, and shame never comes from God, so that's not ever how he wants us to feel. But somehow she realized, oh, this isn't okay, and God can, can start to heal this. But it's only in the context of being deeply, deeply loved by the Father. And, you know, she's come some way in her healing. And, um, yeah, I just think that that can be all of our experience. And as we allow him to love us, we also allow him to, to clean up stuff that keeps us from him. Does that make sense? So the miracle is that as we become more like him, we become more like ourselves. And our true selves can only be revealed as we're in connection with him. Um, the lovely thing is we don't end up being clones of one another. We still retain our uniqueness as a human because we're all created so differently. And if you think of how amazing and big God is, like it takes all of us to express who he is. We're all different expressions of this multifaceted God and his beauty. Um, how do we become who we're meant to be? How do we become more like him? Um, well, I've kind of said it already, actually, but there are spiritual disciplines we need to build into our lives. We need to learn scripture, and we need to apply its truth to our lives. We need to spend time speaking to God and listening to him. Um, if, you, if you're not really experienced at listening to God, just try, because he is talking all the time, and it's just a matter of saying, hi, can you come and talk to me? Or ask a question and see what he says. And, and the more you do this, the better you'll get at it and the more you'll recognize his voice, just as you would with anyone. Um, you know, there's some of you, if you rang me on the phone now, I would know immediately your name. I, I would know immediately who you were just by hearing your voice. Some of you I don't know as well and I might have to say, who, who are you, right? Um, and the more we're listening to him, the more we get to know his voice. So we need scripture really sinking into our hearts. We need to spend time speaking to God and listening to him. We need to learn to obey what he says. <laughs> it's no point listening and then not doing it. Um, and that may mean doing something other than what we think we want to do. Um, but he's so good. You know, when we sang that song about his goodness tonight and, and he's never going to let us down, honestly, it's true. It's true. I feel like I've, in, I've, how to say this, I've followed God and I've followed what he wanted me to do and some of it's been wonderful and some of it's been very costly. But he's so good that he turns it around for good even the, the stuff that was disappointing and costly. He turns it around for good. I think so much of, of what he wants to do to transform us into his image comes through allowing him to pursue us and to romance us. Um, and this is really personal to each one of us. So I'll just let you know <laughs> that God puts the moon in the sky for me like, he lets the rest of you see it as well, but it's actually for me. Oh, no, I'm not joking. <laughs> um, and there are certain phases of the moon that have a special meaning between me and him. 
Um, there are certain poems and certain songs that he has given to me, that he's spoken to me. I don't know if this is too female, but maybe not. But I think he, he's developing this relationship with us where he's bringing us through life and he's saying, follow me, I've got the best things for you. Um, and what I love is the story of God and his human bride, which is us, is this narrative that we tell over and over again in our stories from Disney to um, you know, all the stories which is the king sees the poor peasant girl and wants her for his son's bride and the prince comes riding out on his horse and he ends up having to sacrifice himself to win this, this, this Cinderella kind of girl. This is, this is the narrative we tell over and over again and we do this because it's the true story. We do this because there is a king who wants to win our hearts and wants to bring us into his palace and out of our peasant life. Um, and this God is, is, is wooing us and wants to woo us now. He has so much more for us than we think. He's calling us into his holiness and he's calling us through his love and he's pursuing us and wanting to father us, wanting to reparent us, if we will, wanting to recreate us into his image so we can reproduce that image in the world. I think there are many more things I'd like to say, but I just want to pray for us a bit, if that's okay. <clears throat>